Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Why don't we start by getting some coffee first? The Luke Cage Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 106, Suckers Need Bodyguards, is sponsored by the A-Train Diner, catering for all occasions cadavers for others well pete suckers might need bodyguards but you know what these podcast suckers need are a couple more itunes reviews are you enjoying the luke cage podcast by fantastic geek please oh please hop on that a train all the way up to appleville leave us a review on itunes won't you hopefully it's nice words but uh, we'll take whatever words you want to send our way we definitely would love to raise the profile of this latest fantastic geek offering uh on the itunes so uh please oh please itunes please you know there's a couple other luke cage podcasts out there but i'm fairly certain matt they don't offer what we do um detailed analysis just a little bit of humor, humility, all these things. So uh, please, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes, leave a review. Could be positive, could be negative. You know what? They all help. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Pete, where do we kick things off? It's Patsy! New York's other number one, Matt, Trish Talk, uh, Jessica Jones, gal pal, Trish Walker here with a credited voiceover at the beginning of the episode. Absolutely loved the inclusion here. It's one of these things where you you get the bonus if you've seen Jessica Jones. If you haven't, it's just a tidy exposition about people talking about Luke Cage uh, but this just blew me away. It made me smile from ear to ear and uh, all power to the people at uh, Marvel Netflix for this inspired inclusion of Trish Talk. Yes, to get Rachel Taylor here, uh, the lovely Rachel Taylor, just her voice uh, is, a, is a get and just another piece of connective tissue in this Marvel uh, Netflix cinematic universe here. But as Luke runs the voiceover of her call-in show here, first caller, uh, Sophia, she wants the, the police to be able to do their jobs. And uh, Trish argues that, uh, you know, the boys in blue, they don't even have the most sterling reputation these days, with, which works on two levels, Matt. First, in terms of the story that we're watching, particularly what happens in the context of this episode, corruption, etc. Secondly, from a firsthand standpoint with Trish, having dealt with the whole Will Simpson uh, travail in uh, Jessica Jones, you know, a, a cop who takes things a little too far. Indeed, and the whole point here, Sophia, the first caller, a little shout out to our younger listeners there suggests calling luke cage instead of 911 pete his myth is growing he's even breaking up fights trish says we are witnessing a shift in the boundaries of possibilities and she wishes him luck from everyone below 110th street well that was said though after the second caller because amir he knows luke Ooh. Uh, he's seen him at the fish, fish fry with his girlfriend, treats everybody with respect. He stopped a fight. And, you know, that Trish says that it seems to be only the people who don't know Luke who criticize. Again, another nod to these supers she's had experience with and some others. You know, Matt. It's it's easy to have a boogeyman when, you know, somebody's up at a podium telling you, you know, that they're a big threat. They've never been a bigger threat. But how many do they know? And even when they tell you, oh, I I know super powered people. I know a lot of super powered people. Let me tell you about them. Pete, that might be a joke that only plays within the, the the listening range of wfan new york but you know what 
all our best listeners are within the listening range of WFAN New York. Elsewhere in New York, though, still in the listening range of WFAN, Cottonmouth pulls on up to a waterside meetup. I had wondered, Pete, if this was one of these, you know, uh, Manhattan Island uh, waterside meetups like we had in Jessica Jones that <laughs> looks at the island the of Manhattan. It's the exact same lot every single time. They've used this lot in Daredevil. They've used this lot in Jessica Jones. Yeah. <laughs> It's always from Queens, but that's it's okay. Always in the same spot. So much uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has happened on this piece of pavement. It's like those uh, those the, I don't know those those fault lines of uh, of supernatural energy or whatever. Anyhow, I don't know what you're talking about. I will not answer that call. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so anyhow, Cottonmouth, he's pulled on up. He wants to meet with Scarf. He's meeting with Scarf. Does Scarf have the goods? Yes. Is Scarf square with Cottonmouth? Well, Scarf says, uh, we're off about, you know, some zeros here, $100,000. And Pete, I love here how Frank Whaley, he puts a little affect in his voice, kind of yep. yep. sound like he's from north of 110th Street, even though, well, I don't think he is. He absolutely chews this up here. Um, doesn't need another dime. No, he needs $100,000. Uh, no cash, no guns, no guns, no Domingo. And might he remind Cottonmouth that ghetto CNN is working overtime. And he's got all his cash in the police lockup. And the final insult, Matt, what turns this uh, violent is his admonition that uh, Cottonmouth's juice has turned to water since Luke Cage punked his peacock behind. Cottonmouth, of course, doesn't want to pay, but, you know, sitting as an audience member, well, he has to, right? Uh, instead, he punches Scarf, who is ready to pull his, uh, his police-issue gun. He loses it in the scuffle. Cottonmouth uh, picks it up, shoots at him, hitting him. Pete, my my jaw was on the floor. None of this I I, I saw coming. Um, he's not just hit because I was like, okay, he hit him, but then it's going to be, oh, I'm so achy. Uh, I'm wearing a vest. Nope, he's bloodied him. Yeah. Cottonmouth uh, ups and leaves, and uh, Pete Scarf is is shocked that a cop has been shot. What does this mean for a dirty cop, Pete? What's going on? Well, it really means that he's got no friends here. Um, and as it's described later, he, he has to head in the wind. This was seen as well as a guy that, that yells as this is going on and really forces Cottonmouth to leave. Hey, man, you all right? Um, so no wonder uh, we leave him in the wind as we head to Mariah standing in front of her brownstone there talking about the wonder that is Harlem the food, the music, the artists. And soon as the cameraman stopped rolling, uh, Luke Cage rolls on up and asks if this is her new VH1 show, Criminal Spinsters. <laughs> so a little zip to this, uh, to this uh, script. How about uh, her reply, too? Which is what? She says, Spinster, man, I'll wear you out. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Talk about sauce, Matt. Talk about the juice. <laughs> uh, this all this all leads to a boil where uh, Luke tells Mariah that he is going to shut down her cousin. He's not threatening, mind you. Just kind of just kind of giving her a heads up. And then Pete he keeps on running all the way to breakfast, Pete, because there's nothing like a run, a you know, nice morning run, to then head over to to Spanish Harlem, meet up with your boy fish and have some, uh, you know, ha have a nice, uh, nice big breakfast. The discussion here is that Harlem is better with, uh, the barbershop open. As soon as Luke catches Cottonmouth, he says he's ghost, which is what the kids say when they're leaving Matt. Um, but the discussion circles back that, uh, Fish thinks Luke could um, make a career out of robbing the bad guys or maybe even playing for the Giants. But uh, Luke says that being hood famous is bad enough. Well, what about a mask? I ain't no hero. Pay me. 
that could be a good slogan, Matt, for, you know, for a hero for hire and all. Say the thing, say the thing. By the way, Pete, I would like to know how Luke Cage made, you know, uh, made the first half of this year, how they would know that we would be watching this episode in the middle of October. And you know what? The Giants can use Luke's help, given that they are two and three and uh, and had a, uh, quite the drubbing at the hands of the, the Green Bay Packers. So they could use Luke uh, if he decides not to be a hero for hire. Well, you know who needs a hero for hire right about now is Mariah as she berates her cousin Cornell about Scarf. Um, he explains, of course, he's always got an explanation, uh, Cottonmouth does, that uh, it was his gun, Scarf's gun that busted off. Um, you know, she says that uh, he was alone because he, he went alone because he knew what he was doing was wrong. Um, and that Cottonmouth better not drag her down. Something Matt already knows is uh, is in the offing, courtesy of some well-placed footage at New York Comic Con and our introduction to uh, Diamondback. But um, the, uh, the guns are being picked up by Cottonmouth's people. He's going to hand them over to Domingo tonight. She doesn't want to know any of this. She wants to know where is Luke Cage. Um, but her focus, Cottonmouth says, should be on the big interview today. He also reminds her that he doesn't work for her, which uh, was a nice restatement of that tension there. Uh, she counsels him to sell the club and cash out, which is the second time he's received that information from someone. She also says that he needs to get Luke Cage to check out, kill him, shoot him, and if he's bulletproof, drown him, burn him, poison him. Maybe he's got a woman. Find her and squeeze her, Pete. Poison him with a woman, drown him with a woman, or maybe burn him with a woman. Matt, I, I love that, and I'm adding, of course, these for Flourish, but clearly in the ordinal nature there, the woman with his fine behind, you know he got one. Uh, that's, that's the clear Achilles heel of our man, Luke. There's some great, great camera work in the scene as well. It's cagey and it's over the shoulder of the other person. Uh, the, the body of the opposing cousin obscures and covers these two villains as we as we get this conversation here. Uh, it's almost in your face, the camera work, but not to a point uh, of distraction and just really, really nice in reminding you that these are two, two troubled people. She was starting to sound a bit like Mama Mabel there too, Matt. Indeed she is. Uh, indeed she was, rather, in Cottonmouth calls his other contact at uh, police HQ. I believe that's Perez and tells him, that, Perez. tells him that scarf is bleeding and in the wind that complicates things. It certainly does. And, uh, they're all in this together. At this point, we head back across to, uh, the diner where, uh, Mrs. Temple catches up with Claire there. Claire gives her a hard time cause she needs to learn how to text. But, uh, that old Mrs. Temple there, Sonia Braga, she does know that she's uh, given Claire a little bit of a shove towards old Luke there. That leads Claire to reintroduce herself to Luke, who, right, probably doesn't remember her saving him after the whole girlfriend thing in Hell's Kitchen, uh, which was a nice Oh, little... oh, I watched that show, Matt. Yeah, the, the greatest Marvel show out there. Uh, yeah, we podcast that too. We the, uh, the the Jessica Jones podcast by Fantastic Geek on iTunes and fantasticgeek.com. That's the very one, Pete. But anyhow, back to this particular program. Luke says that she didn't need to save him, and she says that when you save someone's life, you care about them. Pete, there's electricity in the air and even spoiler-free Matt can see we're headed somewhere here. Maybe they will not go get coffee later. Oh, oh, oh my. She asks how he could still be alive. He says that he's a freak. She says he's amazing. And somehow she does it without it sounding like a 1950s 
you're dreamy kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, it's probably that Rosario Dawson is magic to the screen and yeah. and makes the line work perfectly. But no sooner does Luke have to go. The story moves to the uh, the police station where there's an all hands meeting. You know, that's like 15 people. I mean, let's not go crazy with the, the extras here. It's a lot um, of hands, though. The cat, it is. <laughs> twice, twice as much, oftentimes. If Coulson was there, it would only be 29. Uh, the captain gives a rousing speech about whatever the buzz is about the scarf. There needs to be a, a strong blue line around him, whatever his problems might be. Pete, Pete, it's an inspiring moment where we say, oh, it's the police taking care of each other. That's resonating interestingly in 2016. Um, but I digress. The, the captain is in no way suggesting impropriety. Just let's deal with our problem and let's get this guy, you know, let's get this guy taken care of. And indeed, the captain follows up with Misty wanting to know what she knows. So uh, it seems like the captain is playing it fair, particularly as she pairs Misty with Detective Perez on Finding Scarf. I'm sure that will lead to zero problems. The possible implication that Misty is dirty because her partner may be. And all along here comes Perez, who we know is dirty. And there's the stolen evidence from the locker there. Perez is breathing down on uh, Scarf, even though he's just as guilty. Back we go to Luke and Claire. I'm so glad that Claire decided to follow Luke out of the diner. Luke says it's easy to uh, ignore him. After all, it's New York. No one cares about anyone here. Hey, it's the 1990s and 80s and such. You can be anonymous and, hey, Pete, is the barbershop supposed to be unlocked? It is not, nor is all that blood supposed to be on the floor after they've cleaned up all that blood, you know, from the murder that occurred there. They follow that trail of blood. It's all CSI style, and it's Scarf. Pete, I'm so glad that Claire followed Luke, especially since Scarf won't go to a hospital, and what, she's, you know, the night nurse and all. Um and he reminds us that if he did go to a hospital, he'll be he'd be killed there, just like those guys that killed Chico. Those awful guys, you know, totally not him. Those other guys save Scarf. Yeah, right. I mean, you could at least imagine that, given how his arc goes for the remainder of this episode, he might have been truthful right off the bat. But I guess that's the uh, save himself first nature of uh frank whaley's character oh absolutely and um the story continues at scarf's apartment where uh, misty is imagining scarf in his routine she sees him there in that evocative show it don't say it way that uh that we see her detective mind moving she's not seeing much though other than his rather empty home routine and uh perez sees her watching and says she's a regular Cuandro Pedro, seeing things. There are, however, some details in the flash sideways, perhaps, <laughs> given that she never saw this. It's not a real flashback. There's a, there's a frame rather conspicuous with a child uh, near uh, or on a bookcase there. And uh, we ultimately will get the uh, discussion of what happened with uh, Scarf's son. Misty notes that Scarf mustn't be on the run. All his clothes are here. Uh, she also says that Scarf was a father. Uh, his son, uh, Earl, found his gun one night and shot himself. Uh, great line here from Misty. Scarf cracks lots of jokes but rarely smiles there's a difference and i have to say pete as much as i wanted to first approve of scarf in the earlier episodes and then disapprove of him as clearly the dirty cop kind of got a feel for him here and it really puts his his character's mournful state into uh, into focus absolutely it it really does make you uh sympathetic to the character and again full credit on our man Frank Whaley for bringing all of that lesser actors, Matt, this would be a two-dimensional role. Then we're with Mariah. Check her out with the purple 
fingernails picking up a picture of Mama Mabel. Yelling at it, no less. The story then goes back to the barbershop where Claire can do some work on Scarf, but can't save him necessarily. Uh, it's repeated again. He won't go to the hospital. They're trying to, to kill him. He asks, who is she? The woman trying to save your life. And I love his reaction. Thank you. Whatever. <laughs> the the chairs are new. He's getting blood all over him. Um, if the, the uh, bullet that's gone through the liver there, if that's not uh, taken care of, um, it's going to be a problem. Luke wonders aloud, should he even just dump him in front of the 29th? And even as Claire is pulling the bullet out of his thigh, there's all sorts of squishing and, you know, well, lots of squishing mostly. Um, uh, Whaley is screaming and, and moaning very convincingly. Uh, still, Scarf is able to tell Luke that he'll have to lay low here for a while. There, there are things he can't talk about. So I love that even in this in, in this painful position, he still is kind of kind of playing these people. Whaley's appropriately sweaty and and uh, you know anxious, and uh, it's in this scene that uh, even with all the squishing and everything like that, Luke gets. Uh, gets a little upset he does as as scarf starts to say that uh, maybe he can out Cottonmouth as he's fessing up about the guns fessing up about chico fessing up indeed about killing chico that's we see first luke's reaction the camera stays on luke he's considering his options and then seething he grabs scarf by the throat and there's some some particularly great gagging sounds here just kind of really selling the uh I don't know, the dire situation Scarf is in. And Luke says that he and Claire are done. Yeah, he's not a killer. He's he's not going to make this choice here. But uh, I love the three-dimensionality of uh, Mike Coulter's Luke here in, in, in being a human being. Though he's got these superpowers, he's just found out this kid he was trying to protect, who, who was trying to do the right thing after a mistake has uh, has been murdered by this dirty cop that they've got to save now. Scarf admits to being a despicable human being, but says Cottonmouth is a hell of a lot worse, and Scarf has the key to sending Cottonmouth to jail. Uh, and if that's too much for you, Scarf adds, I can take him down. Pete, what is it that will take him down? It's evidence. We're going to need that evidence to put him behind bars and it's Scarf that, of course, has taken these precautions, dealing with a cotton mouth. He's got the goods. He has the goods. They're all detailed notes about uh, Cottonmouth's use of Spurlock's mortuary to hide bodies, the covered-up murder investigations, even the name of every dirty cop on Cottonmouth's payroll. And uh, Scarf even then adds that uh, the notes are up in his apartment and with that, Cage just leaves by himself. Pete, with that, we head back to Mariah's apartment. What's going on there? That would be her big interview. A taped interview, Pete? Well, no. Some of what we will have broadcast is uh, is taped. But uh, the rest of it's going to be live, Matt. And, you know... The, the thing about Fantastic Geek, those that are listening who have listened before know, and if you're new to this, you're going to find out, we'll be reminded right now, we shoot it down the middle. And there is a massive Marvel Cinematic Universe um, continuity error in this scene. Matt, did you spot it? Uh, of course I did, but why don't you tell the listeners? Yes. Reference is made to Obama. Matt... What the as the 44th president of the United States, Matt, did President Obama serve before or after President Matthew Ellis, the current president of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, to be fair, we haven't heard from President Ellis in some time. Is it possible, Pete? By some time, you mean last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so the 2015-16 TV season. Uh, which yes. would make it anachronistic for Obama to suddenly be president. 
unless Pete, this season of Luke Cage is taking place in 2017, and there's a new President Obama who has who has succeeded President Ellis. And oh, Ob- I get it. I get it. Uh, Trump and Clinton both backed out at the 11th hour, and Michelle Obama, in some kind of weird, designated <laughs> survivor esque twist, uh, won the uh, the presidency. I that's what Tembi was talking about. Pete, I think that how about this? Can we can we just all agree that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe there is no Hillary Clinton and there's no Donald Trump? Can we can can we come together as a nation to agree to compromise with that? I, like, I, I guess then 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 we'd be compromising that President Matthew Ellis was followed up by Obama, which might upset some people. Yes. Thanks, Ellis. <laughs> Hashtag thanks, Ellis. Hashtag shield fell on your watch. Hashtag crooked Ellis. Um, Pete, continuity error. No, no excuse there. Sorry about that, Pete. I was just uh, checking my phone for texts because uh, they're getting sent out on the show. Perez has gotten a text to see if they've found Scarf. They haven't, but Pete Misty sees Perez texting and... uh, She's kind of giving him the suspicious eye there. Absolutely. Luke full hoodie is uh, heading up to the apartment there. while um, they're not exactly paying attention, headed for the evidence, having uh, ripped the handle of the door right off. Meanwhile, Misty asks Perez if uh, Perez remembers when Misty became a detective 10 years ago. People wrote her off, but not Scarf. He taught her how to be a detective, and he's had her front and back ever since. Great line, no innuendo there, just partner to partner, talking about two, two detectives taking care of each other. And by the time they begin to suspect something is wrong, Luke already has what he needs recovered from the floorboard there. Still with it's always the, the loose floorboard, Pete. It's always. No one ever puts it in the ceiling, especially in an apartment that you can't do that in the ceiling. So it's got to go on the floor. Uh, and then he jumps uh, J. August Richards style, Deathlock style, out of a, a building. It's the second time, Matt, we've seen um, a hooded black man jump out of a building and not suffer a scratch in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Pete, it's right around this time where we see some some great action of Misty and Perez running up three flights of stairs. That must have been a fun day for acting. Um, Luke having jumped out of the window, Misty sees him, but good luck catching him. And then the story moves back to the barber shop where Claire is keeping Scarf awake. Um, I thought they were going to go down a story tangent here of, oh, he's losing consciousness and will he die? But instead, Luke comes in. He wants to take Scarf and the evidence somewhere that it can make a difference. Uh, Claire has uh, arranged for a ride. Uh, her mother comes with a catering van and says that the van is one thing. But if Luke lets there be a scratch on Claire, mommy will make him pay. Yes, and with Sonia Braga, you definitely believe it. Um, but the cops have seen Luke here, so it's just a matter of time. Scarf cannot walk, so uh, we're really upping the dramatic ante. Luke takes the A-train van. See what I did there, jazz fans? Uh, down to police HQ. He starts that drive. He's going to hand the evidence and Scarf over. Uh, we also see Mariah starting to give her interview, squaring herself as the Harlem candidate. Um, meanwhile, back at the barber shop, shop the unis, that's, uh, please, it, Pete, let me tell you, this is police lingo here for uniformed officers. They're not here yet. Misty and Perez are there, though. Misty goes outside to check on those unis just so that, hand of the writer, Perez can take a call from Cottonmouth. And if Perez doesn't lock it down, half the department falls with cotton mouth. And Pete, it's also at this moment that Zip offers to step up. Yeah, uh, we've seen Zip a couple times now. And having been the, the tough that's named 
in uh, Genghis Khanis in the very first episode to somebody who was shaking people down, up and down, uh, you know, Lenox Avenue, stealing championship uh, uh, baseball rings, and now uh, Hat Askew trying to to get that knot, Matt. And, and he has an opening, too. He wants to fill the hole since Shades is nowhere to be found. Uh, Pete, I think we're going to see more of Shades in the future. In the, in the past, I saw a little bit of a future episode when we were at New York Comic Con, and I think we're going to have more Shades. But I digress. Zip is told to get the word out. Green van with Scarf, 100 Gs to see Scarf dead. Pete, how long does it take for that info to, 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 to spread throughout the neighborhood? Not very long with Mariah's uh, interview playing over the TV there, kind of positioned so that uh, Alfre Woodard is looking in the direction of uh, Cottonmouth as he looks out on his club. It's, it's, it's all very directorly, Matt. And Deontay, a wheelman here, uh, they're, they're near the barbershop. They say they'll head back and uh, they, they're talking with uh, Zip there on the phone. Uh, Luke notes traffic sucks. There's a police checkpoint up the way. Claire is using her uh, her phone to check traffic. It's all very 2016. <laughs> On the topic of traffic sucking for the uninitiated New York, quick anecdote. One of the nights after New York Comic Con, Pete and I were headed somewhere for dinner uh, in uh, honestly in the Hell's Kitchen section of New York. That's where uh, that's where the Javits Center is. And uh, got the walking directions to it uh, on Google Maps and saw that it was like 16 minutes to walk there and 16 minutes to drive there. So, you know, we did better at, at you know, six miles an hour on foot than we would have uh, if we had our own black SUV, Pete. You can walk off your delicious burger in the city before you've actually eaten it. <laughs> Pete, we've got a car chase unfolding here. Luke does some fancy driving. He finds a quiet corner, kills the lights. It seems that Sea Money and his crew have cornered our hero. Pete, they're shooting at the van. They're killing Claire and Scarf, right? Of course. That's the only way that you can think it's going down, Matt, because drama. Until the shocking reveal that the van is empty. Turns out that Luke burst a hole through the van into the building. That's a smart move by Luke Cage. It is, and the van barely moved, at least. They must have uh, happened upon it after he had torn those bricks, apparently. Uh, But uh, we digress. They go in there looking for him, and... uh, it's really claustrophobic, Matt, the way it's shot. Uh, very, very uh, green uh, type of filter running over the camera. And uh, there's Perez and uh, Misty back in the car there. Want to be ready to go, not stuck behind some damn desk, right? But Perez, he digs them Frosties, man. He's hungry. I mean, look, can we just all admit for a second Frosties are really, really good? Um Clearly, we, the audience, know that uh, his advice here to not go anywhere down near police HQ, it's coming from the place of corruption. And Pete, it's at this point where Misty fakes the fakest fake call that was ever faked, pretending the <laughs> scarf is on the phone. She somehow also miraculously turns on the voice recorder, all while the screen doesn't shut off, which is what, you know, eight years into the world of smartphones, smartphones turn off when you're on the phone and you hold it against your face, but... Whatever writers, she recorded him and pulls a gun on him. Take us back to the better written portion of the scene, Pete. <laughs> and again, you know, we're going we're gonna to call it as we see it. Uh, it. But Pete, I thought I need to squee for everything. No, because that is messy. Um, but it's it's serviceable as a gambit because it brings us from uh, A to C Um She's, she draws down on him. Now she's got to cuff him. The gun's gone off. And we go back to the interview or the pre-recorded part of the interview. This is really good, right, Matt, about restoring that luster? This is great. I believe in Harlem. Yeah, Mariah is Harlem. 
And then the interviewer, because Pete, you got to watch out for those those media types all being media and stuff, not telling only the nice stories that crooked politician slash involved in real estate Mariah is pushing. Wow. <laughs> what fiction? Uh, the interviewer says that there are actually two Harlems. The one that is uh, full of history, that is hopeful. And then there's a second one, the corrupt Harlem. We see pictures of Mama Mabel and Pistol Pete. What is that relationship between Cottonmouth and her cousin Mariah? Hey, what about the attack on Crispus Attucks, which uh, somehow didn't make the news? So which Harlem does Mariah stand for? This is great. And it sizzles. It's got that, uh, boy, Matt, we, we, we haven't seen like the nexus of uh, entertainment news you know, used as a way of getting uh, information out there in the relative uh, recent history of our country. Uh, but this scene, it, it really grabs you by the neck. I love, Pete, that Mariah, the, the seasoned politician, takes a split second to collect herself. Then she gives the conclusion, Pete, if you can imagine this, she blames the media out to get this great patriot of a candidate. The fix is in. Then she shuts the interviewer down. <laughs> Pete, only 26 more days of me saying what glorious fiction in this <laughs> fictional fiction. Listen, as a former full-time member of your liberal media, Matt, we are out to get everybody I can, I can tell you there are meetings we talk about getting everybody it, it's what it's what the media does Matt it's this thing called the fourth estate and representing uh, everyone from these people who will abuse their power <laughs> well said uh, and you know what Pete I think that Thembi is with you because she gives a little uh, a little uh nod to her producer they've got the good stuff here we cut to the bowels of the buildings where luke scarf and claire are, are, are turning through hallways cottonmouth's crew catches up with them luke shades the other two taking gunfire and more he opens his arms wide it's almost uh it's almost samson-esque minus the uh the, the lack of power because pete you can't you can't shorn luke cage's hair away can you you can. And as they're trying to get to City Hall and, and one police plaza here, uh, the the thugs gaining ground, it's it's sacrificial. The the arms up, Matt, uh, you, you don't need to be a genius with the symbolism to see what's going on here. Wow. Well, well observed, Pete. Meanwhile, up on the street, Claire and Scarf finally make their way out. They're about to be run down by a car, but Luke stops them with Misty watching. It's an epic shot of Luke having uh, having stopped the car, the car wrapped around him. Albeit, our buddy Tim has seen better on Smallville, but I digress. Scarf at this point finally convulses and loses consciousness. The overhead shot, Pete, it says he's dying. He's fading, and he's off to see his son while the police sirens finally close in. With that, Pete, cue a shocking montage. Matt, in an episode where we don't have a singer in the club, we get instead the cuffs in the club, and Misty gets to put them on there. Uh, long been a tradition that the cuffs of a cop killed are used to collar the accused and it's not spoken about there but it resonates in the look that she gives uh matt i found it incongruous that as cottonmouth is pulled out of his club there are um what seem to be backup dancer women with their hands um webbed their fingers webbed behind their heads just stood out a little bit. Pete, I mean, it's a club that has backup dancers. I, I, I'll tell you what I, what I did like is during this montage of Stokes being walked out, the camera is handheld. It's at a slow, dreamy frame rate. And uh, I could not believe what I was seeing because, well, we'll discuss it in the theory segment, but Pete... 
it's like the world's coming tumbling down here and not just for Cottonmouth. Uh, Themby is just about to leave Mariah's house, but is able to ask about the arrest of Cornell Stokes and charges of corruption, and the news crew is kicked out, leaving Mariah to say, uh, oh, sugar snaps. <laughs> um, and her handler, Alex, there is is uh, summoned yet again to uh, to push Tembi and her uh, news crew for Access Harlem out the door. Luke and Claire are then seen walking down the street. She says tonight has shown how special he is. Pete, is it, it's only in the recap of this episode that I feel like maybe they're giving Claire a little bit too much, you know, dreamboat eyes for Luke and maybe not enough women kick butt stuff. Um, again, it's only in the recap, so I guess I guess fair is fair that, uh, that that's not what kind of is, is obvious on first view. Um, nonetheless, she says that tonight has shown how special he is. Luke seems free. He's done. He's ready to move on. Cottonmouth is in jail. So end of the season, right? Claire offers to help him test his power, see how much uh, more he can help. So just basically wrapping things up, right, Pete? Right. In episode six of a 13-episode season, sure, we're, we're all done, right? I tell you what we're not done with, Pete. Luke says he just wants to get some coffee. Oh, my. He says the coffee means just coffee. We know that's not true. Furthermore, Claire knows he doesn't drink coffee, what with the, the stuff at the diner earlier that day. So, Pete, metaphor sent, metaphor received. I wonder what a certain blind lawyer would have to say about all this. Meanwhile, back at the police precinct, the captain says that there are cowards out there. They don't want to push the story of corruption in the police uh, department and its connection to a councilwoman, not with proof from a dirty cop. It's a huge problem, Pete. It's almost like like a web. And if you've heard, there's a there's a web thing going on in New York in the MCU. But this is a different web, a huge problem. Fisk, Cottonmouth, what's to be done? Pete, now we're going to talk some bad... Mm. Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Petey. Who are we starting with? Cottonmouth Matt, who in this episode gets his comeuppance. I was so shocked to see him arrested, knowing that that tiniest sliver that I do of of somewhere in a forthcoming episode uh, with, uh, with the Diamondback reveal has me wondering just how permanent this arrest is. Um, and, and I don't know which way the wind is blowing, but it seems like the show is committing hard to the notion that here we are halfway through the season and Cottonmouth might just might be down for the count. Well, I don't think you get an in-demand actor, uh, the level of a Mahershala Ali and, you know, only go six episodes with him granted as the heavy and then, write him out so i wouldn't uh i wouldn't weep too soon matt well certainly we have other uh other baddies aplenty but pete who else is on the list this time mariah yet again here starting to see some serious cracks in that public facade uh between the the interview that day the smack talk with with luke cage berating her cousin uh pretty much mocking him that you better not take me down with you and then uh how poorly the interview goes and and being caught flat-footed with the arrest of her cousin not a good day for old mariah dillard stokes indeed it looks like the uh Looks like whether it's the media or just plain the people, looks like it's uh, starting to catch up with her, especially ahead of this all-important election that she uh, that she that she seems to be pushing. Pete, anybody else on the list? Pete, we got Zip, we got C Money, we got C Money, we've got Deontay, Matt. They are our three musketeers, if you will, uh, trying to take down Luke, and as we know. Unless you're armed with the Judas, and even then, we don't know if that's going to work, um, you don't really have a chance. Pete, 
want to take a moment to thank the people who give us a chance. Those are our patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, making sure that uh, the podcast lights stay on 24 seven, helping us out with those uh, podcast bandwidth and storage costs each week. The storage goes up a little bit more as we uh, as we drop a new episode. So thank you one and all for your help. You really do help us out a lot in terms of bringing this thing we do to you. So thanks again. We hope that uh, you're getting yourself a little something back in return with uh, our perks that we offer you. There. The big picture, where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, let me start you with one. Cottonmouth, down for the count. I know we talked about it uh, a little bit when we were talking about bad guys, but might this be a season where we where we have a, a first half bad guy and a second half bad guy? Well, Matt, you know, <laughs> I already know what's what. Um, so you're not going to get me to bite and certainly I'm not going to spoil you, but uh, it's an interesting way to go um, as far as writing uh, Cottonmouth into police custody. But we've already started to see they're a little limited in terms of what they can do with him there. And, and that final image of Misty sitting in the dark with the, the notebook there doesn't exactly portray confidence. Any other theories you want to hit? How about Claire Temple here? Two episodes in a row. And now, Matt, she really wants to help these people with abilities. She's helping Luke. Um, she doesn't fall for the coffee line. Uh, what's going on with Claire? What's We, we know she's going to be in Iron Fist because we were at the New York Comic Con Netflix um Marvel panel. Um, she is in the cast there. We're going to be talking about that on our Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek that drops for the very first time this coming weekend. Um, what's up with her? I, I guess I feel two simultaneous thoughts about it. The one is uh, we kind of know where this is, where the character is headed. So they need to kind of lay story track for that. And certainly an actress of her prominence, we can only assume she's going to be in, uh, in Defenders, having been in the four theater series. Um, so on the one hand, there's Hand of the Writer. Uh, on the flip side, you could kind of um, imagine how in this world where the average human is a, a little less important and a little less impressive because you don't have an iron suit, you don't have a, a magic hammer, you don't turn into a big monster, you're just kind of you, and that's that's less interesting than it used to be. Uh, with all of that in mind, you could see how somebody in her position might take the twists of fate that have sent some of these powered people her way is to kind of say, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm supposed to help the people who help others. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener. Pete, who do we have lined up for today? We're going right to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page where Robert T. Frost, a longtime friend of the podcast, writes in. Point of order, he says, the weapon Cottonmouth uses on Genghis Khanis looks to be the FIM-92 Stinger, a man portable anti-aircraft missile, not a RPG. I'll take the, the bullet here, Matt, or, or the missile. I had called it an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade. Of course I'm wrong. Uh, not terribly significant, but interesting. He finishes there, and uh, the Fantastic Geek uh, Facebook page is, is quite witty, Matt, if I do say so myself. It had responded, it's certainly significant to those inside Genghis Khani's wacky, winky face emoji. <laughs> to, to wit, Robert uh, had responded, well... Whatever the official designation is that was assigned by Hammer Industries, it certainly worked better than the ex-wife. Ooh. 
turn on uh, that other arms dealer, the, the, the Pepsi arms dealer of the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Indeed, indeed. Always great to hear uh, from Robert Frost there, and so great to hear of the the vigorous conversation going on on the Facebook page. But Pete, let's take it back to, to the source. Let's take it back to your Twitter page. How can people be in touch with you there? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,483, 8483. Matt, who's going to be 8484? Okay. Uh, followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, where Pete has been sending people to tweet me spoilery things about the world, such as who killed JFK and uh, things of that sort. Uh, but Pete, let's not spoil old spoiler-free Matt. Let's not sully those hands. Let's instead go to any of the Fantastic Geek offerings, fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at gmail.com, fantasticgeek on Instagram, and of course Twitter. And that's where you can keep the conversation going without spoiling things to me. And Fantastic Geeks Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH one word. You can go there since Matt is not on Facebook and we can all talk spoilers together, um, you know, or just make fun of Matt. Wow. <laughs> well, Pete here's no spoiler at all if you're listening to us on the pop culture podcast uh feed we will be updating this weekend as you mentioned pete a uh, quick little uh check-in with iron fist now that we've seen some footage from there at new york comic-con and uh if you go luke cage only we'll be back in a couple of days on monday to talk the next episode of that pete racing through you realize that about 20 25 minutes through the next episode of luke cage that's the halfway point Yes, and it's also the last episode that was screened for the media. So after that, I finally get to talk to you about stuff we haven't been able to talk to. Just exciting times. Well, Pete, we will be talking more pop culture stuff, more Marvel stuff in the near future, as I just mentioned a moment ago. So I will say, I read to all our listeners and give you the final word. Better let me do the interrogation, partner. I got rapport.